Now, guys, I don't have the clicker, so I'm going to just uh, invite you guys to turn the, the uh, slides when we have them. And I just want to remind you of a couple of things as we get started into the last of our uh, series on fruitfulness on the front line. Uh, remind you of the book that uh, is available to purchase. Get it on uh, Amazon and other websites are available as well where you can buy it. But a great book about how we live out our faith in the front lines. And also everyone should have got a little uh, wallet card as you came in today, just as a reminder of the ways in which we are to call to live in our front lines. We'll go through the, the six of them to refresh your memory uh, in just a few moments. But carry this with you. Make it a, a, something that reminds you of how we live and also to prompt you to pray. But we go to the next slide. Uh, we're talking about how do we live our life of faith in these places, our family, in our homes, our work, our vacation life, our social and recreational life, with our neighbors in our street and community, and even online uh, life with social media. These are all frontline spaces, and God calls us to live out our faith in Jesus Christ in those ways. And so we've gone through uh, five M's so far about how to live in our front lines. And these are all on your little cards here. Modeling godly character on our front lines, godly character is both modeled and displayed. Making good work. It's important what you do from Monday to Saturday and sometimes on a Sunday if you have to work Sundays. It is good. It's, it brings something. It contributes something into the world. So what is that and how will God use you to do that word well with dignity? At ministering grace and love, God has shown us grace and love. How would we minister to those around us that we work with or in our homes or in our streets or online? Molding culture, how can we influence the way things are in our front lines, the culture? To be a mouthpiece for truth and justice, becoming champions of right living and fair dealing in our front line. There are times where we maybe need to speak up and and thoughtfully, in grace-filled grace ways, speak about truth and justice. And see all of those five. If we live in those ways, they present and provide a much better backdrop for the sixth one. I think sometimes what happens in the life of uh, those of us who are in the church, particularly the evangelical tradition, is that we forget the first five and we go straight for number six. And so our becoming messengers of the gospels doesn't, of the gospel doesn't immediately connect because the wider life that we live in our front line is not being lived out. But, but when we begin to live in these ways, what happens is God begins to present us with opportunities. There's maybe questions that are asked of us. And so out of this type of front-line fruitfulness, then the sixth one comes, that we're to become messengers of the gospel of Christ, that we are to be vocal, that we preach the gospel. Now, there is a, a, a saying that is attributed to Francis of Assisi, which says, Preach the gospel always. Where necessary, use words. Well, that's true. And that's what the first four particularly, maybe five of fruitfulness on the front line say. But 
I think in the church we need to rebalance the silence. I think for some reason, over the years and perhaps even over COVID, we've forgotten what it is to speak up and speak out as messengers of the gospel. And while I do believe that preach the gospel always where necessary use words, we still need to use words. Now, when our girls were younger and they would come running through and they would have something to tell you, but they were so excited about what it was that they had to tell you that they struggled to tell you. Have you ever, have you ever had that with children? And they come in and they go, Dad, 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 Dad. I was going to, I was going to. And we would step in and say, Lucy, Sarah, use your words. Use your words. I think perhaps God might be coming to his children in the church of Jesus Christ and saying, I love that you live out your life of faith in the front line. But sons and daughters, God says, use your words. We need to speak up and speak out and become messengers of the gospel of Christ. Use your words. And people on our front lines need to hear that it's Jesus who makes the difference in our lives as well as seeing the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And so we're going to look briefly this morning at 1 Peter 3, 8 to 17, which will help us get a, an understanding perhaps of how we might do that. And this passage comes in the context of Peter. Well, he's writing about the daily lives of the believers, their front lines. And he's dealt with their attitudes towards rulers and authorities. And he's spoken about the relationships that they have in their homes on their front line. And in this part of the letter, he leads his readers to reflect first on their life as a church and then on their lives beyond the church. And so he begins like this in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, this is, in one way, a general uh, word that he gives, but it, it, it is to us as we live as the people of God. It, it talks about the nature of the church community, that this community of faith that we are part of, that allows us and is meant to help us grow in the virtues that are formed by the Spirit of Christ within us. This sympathetic, love one another, compassion, humility, life. That, that's what we should be growing in as the people of God because it's not always easy to grow in those things beyond the gathered church. Sometimes it's not easy to grow it in the gathered church, but this should be a place where these type of things are prominent in how we live with each other. And then as we grow in becoming proficient as a people of God in this way with one another, it then we're sent out in greater confidence to live in these ways in our front lines. The good grace and beauty that we learn and practice and make habitual with one another, and that's what it should be in the church, becomes our norm for our front lines too. And then um, chapter 3, 
goes into verse 9, it moves its focus towards the relationships with those we have outside the church. And Peter particularly focuses on our relationships with those who would want to dismiss us or silence us. And that can and does happen. That's sometimes why we go silent. Maybe we face a little bit of opposition or ridicule or persecution because of our faith. And so Peter begins to move towards this place in our front lines where we may at times feel a reaction, a rejection, even a persecution. And he says this, verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then he quotes Psalm 34. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. So this is also about what we don't speak as well as what we do speak. And their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so in, instead of uh, standing, you know, kind of on it's my right to, to speak out in some kind of arrogant way, he urges us to act in the opposite spirit that comes against us, to bless and not curse. That's part of being messengers of the gospel. That when something or someone comes against us, we don't react in the same spirit, but we bless and do not curse. It's part of being messengers of the gospel. You'll see this in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon of the Mount. At Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And so our response when somebody comes against us because of our faith, because perhaps we've spoken out, is not to curse them or speak against them or, or react in the same aggressive spirit perhaps as in, but to bless them and pray for them. That's how we speak out as messengers of the gospel when we're under attack from others. Bless and do not curse. And that comes from Romans chapter 12. Let's just read what Paul says on the subject. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on their head. Don't, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, some people misunderstand, I think, that phrase, burning coals, as if it's a judgment over someone. Actually, if you go back into the Old Testament, and I'm particularly drawn to Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is in the presence of God. And as he's in the presence of God, he realizes there in a moment of, of where he stands before God as a sinful man. And if you remember in that vision in Isaiah 6, what happens is, as he calls out to God, a, a seraph or an angel or whatever it is, that heavenly being takes a coal, a burning coal, and touches 
his, Isaiah's lips as a sign of cleansing and of forgiveness and of purity and of repentance. And there's something in our, both our actions but also our words of blessing in the face of curse or someone who's against us of doing good and speaking good when it's not coming back to you. That when we talk about burning coals, putting somebody's head is not for judgment. We don't, we don't want judgment on people. What we do want is for them to come to a place of repentance and finding the grace and love and forgiveness and mercy of God. And somehow in our being messengers of the gospel in this way, and we're not done yet, but in this way, of blessing others with what we speak, even when they come against us that are opposed to us, is part of being a messenger that leads people to faith in Christ Jesus. So we do good and we live to serve and bless even those who oppose us, but we also speak good. We're messengers of blessing and the blessing of God. But for all that we do good, we also cannot remain silent about the hope that is within us. We are to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it goes on in chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer what is right, you're blessed. Don't fear their threats. And sometimes we can be worried or anxious about what others might say or have already said. And, and Peter's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Then what is he saying? That he's, he's saying, get back to Jesus. Get back to Jesus. If you've taken a hard time for your faith, get back to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Revere him as Lord. And in that place, he'll strengthen you to go back out again. And be an advocate and a messenger of Christ. Always be prepared, it says. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, I appreciate that these are not necessarily easy words for us to hear and to live out, but they are possible. And they're possible in the strength of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit and under the Lordship of Christ. Anthony Billington and Neil Hudson, who've written much of the material for about all of the material for the life groups who are going through this, they, they suggest that there's a few assumptions underlying what Peter is saying here and his advice. The first is that there's an expectation that our lives will be spent amongst some people who will reject us because of our faith. I think we have to assume that that's going to be the case for us as the people of God, and it might get worse. I think we have to assume that like the times of the early church, there will be suffering for our faith. But that's not a reason to not share our faith. 
It doesn't matter how many times I read the Bible. Silence is not an option for the people of God, for the gospel of Christ. But there's an assumption, an expectation that we will face opposition. Then there's an expectation that we will have a very different community in the church together. And we've got to look after each other in here. It's not easy in this generation for us to be people on the front line being fruitful for Christ. And how we live and how we treat one another in this place is important. And then there's an expectation that we should live in ways that will be asked about our hope. About the hope that we have within us that causes us to live and respond and react in in certain ways. That moment where people say, well, what is it about you? Why is it you do this and not that? I, I can't believe you've forgiven them. Or because of the way you speak blessing instead of curse. There's something that people respond to. Even even when they're having a go at you. Asking for an answer about the hope that you have within you. And then the fourth expectation that they talk about is the expectation that God will use you. That God will use you. I think sometimes some of us feel, well, could God ever use me? Absolutely. Because it's always far more about him than us. And there's an expectation that God will use us. And I would add, if I'm allowed to, into their course material, maybe one day I'll be brave enough and write to them and say, how about this? I would add the expectation that God is already at work in the world around you, in your workplaces and in your streets and in your families. God is always up to much more and you might not be able to, I'm really making the most of Psalm 77, you might not yet see the footprints of what God is doing, but they're there. And God is already at work. Do we believe that God is at work in the people around us? In the world around us that he's, he's seeking to draw? Do we believe that God loves people so much that he's already out there seeking them in love to bring them back to himself? Do we believe that God asks his people to be a sign and a witness to what he's already doing? What he's saying? That we may already be convicting some people in their lives or revealing himself to them. And, and when there are conversions uh, that come up in our front lines that, uh, or conversations that come up in our front lines and conversions, praise God. But the conversations that come up in our front lines that invite a spoken response about Jesus, then we should probably recognize that God has been up to something. We call this prevenient grace the grace that God has to go seeking the lost so God's already at work by his spirit in the places that you live your life from day to day so that's the fifth expectation God at this moment in time you have no idea what is going on in the hearts and minds of the people around you I want you to take yourself back to if if you can remember a pre-Christ time in your life If you go back to that time, I wonder if you ever remember yourself. Perhaps late night as you put your head down in a pillow, having questions and conversations with yourself about God. Or maybe being in a situation or a place where you sensed something or you felt you ought to pray. 
We have no idea what is going on in people's lives all around us. But we believe that God is working. And it may just be that you will be part of a chain of things that God is doing, including people, that will bring someone to that place of finding their way back to God through Christ. Who knows what God is already doing. Here's uh, what they went on to say in the life group material. We are to be prepared to respond when people ask about the hope that we have. The clear implication being that we will have been living in such a way that will intrigue people. So much that some of them will want to know why we act as we do. Why are we as generous as we are, as carefree, as forgiving, as hopeful, as gentle, as joyful? When this happens, Peter says, we need to respond with gentleness and respect. No manipulation, no aggression, no bullying attitudes, no dismissing people. You are answering a person, not an issue, when we give a reason for the hope that is within us. And talking about Jesus is rooted in listening to those who speak to us and ask us to give a reason. We also, we need to be speakers, but we need to be listeners as well. And I understand that not everyone feels like an evangelist. And not everyone might feel like they carry a gift of evangelism. And that's true. But we are called to give a reason for the hope that is within us. So I'm, I'm not asking you to go out and, and be the next wave of evangelists. Some people just naturally do that. I'm saying... Let's be ready to respond with the truth about Christ and this hope we have in our lives as opportunity arises and as we look for opportunity. God is at work. So we don't need to be anxious and we certainly don't need to be the driver. But we do need to be intentional. We remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is at work. This is the difference between kind of that, that driven, unhelpful evangelist who at times is clumsy about the way in which they need to get their perspective right into this person here. Rather than the grace-filled posture that responds as they listen to this person in ways that will respond to what this person is saying in grace and in love and with dignity and respect. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the one who does the convicting and the working and the persuading. Uh, Evangelical Alliance um, have a book called Talking Jesus. It was a report that they developed on the back of a survey, and those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago will remember Gavin talking about that when he was here. And, and really what they're saying is more, more people now, when asked about uh, whether they would be open to a conversation about Jesus, are, are saying yes than previously. And so that it's not that there is no interest in it, and you, you can get this book online on EA's website. So it's not that there's not interest, but they may have some questions or stuff that they need to get off their chest and what they're reacting out of is all of that 
But it doesn't mean that they're not ready to hear. And some of us think, well, I'm not in a place where I'm allowed to talk. I'm legally not allowed to talk about your faith. Well, that's an interesting question. I went on a webinar with Evangelical Alliance, of which one of them was um, a lawyer who was talking about the fact that uh, religion is a protected characteristic. And, uh, and it's already embedded in, in law. And so actually, we do have a legal right to be able to talk and share our faith. And again, I'm just throwing out documents. This uh, a booklet called Speak Up, the Evangelical Alliance kind of reviews and surveys that legal basis of the fact that as people of faith, that there is a freedom, a freedom of expression and a freedom of voice, a freedom of sharing about the hope that is in us. And so if you're in one of those places where you're saying, am I, am I really? Go on to Evangelical Alliance website and have a look at some of this material and be reminded about what we are able to do. It's often about how we share more than can we share. So here's some thoughts as we bring things to a close. If we're going to be people who share the gospel of Christ, let's start in prayer. Pray for individuals. We did that a little bit last week towards the end. Pray for individuals in your front line. Pray for divine appointments and opportunities. Honestly, that, this works. I think sometimes we don't get because we don't ask. Because maybe we don't want the divine appointments and opportunities because then we'd have to give a reason for the hope that is within us, which means then we'd have to speak and speak up and speak out. But this works. I've discovered that if you pray for divine appointments and opportunities, they'll come your way. And suddenly you'll be in a conversation somewhere with someone and they'll say something or they'll ask something and you'll suddenly recognize it as a divine appointment and an opportunity. Why? Because you prayed for it. Because you said, I'm willing, God, if you'll use me to speak up and speak out as a messenger of the gospel of Christ and to share something of the hope that is in you in Christ Jesus. So pray for divine appointments and opportunities to come up in your front lines. This is life-changing news. Must be or else you wouldn't be here. There's other things you could be doing on a Sunday morning or any other time for that matter, but you're here. Thanks be to God. But there's a lot of people who need, long even, to have something of the hope that we know in Christ. And then pray for ourselves to listen and speak with grace and gentleness and respect. Not battering people with the gospel, but in our listening, responding to what we hear because we've listened well both to them and to the Holy Spirit. So that's prayer. Then secondly, there's care. How, the how of what we do, the godly posture of care. Caring for people, listening to them, feeling and sensing what is going on in their lives. Why are they what is it that's behind whatever it is they're saying or asking? It's about them in this moment, not about you. And about God and how he might want to work in their lives. And so we listen so that we can hear in a caring way. 
Pray for God to give you a heart that cares for the people in your front lines so that you operate out of that space rather than out of a space of just want to bash them or batter them into the kingdom of God. Foster a hospitable spirit. Be open. Express that blessing and love. Create safety for people so that conversations can happen. Build trust with people. Genuinely love them. People are not projects. Just love them. Ask questions. Ask questions about how they're doing, what their life's like, how, how, how they're getting on with the thing they told you last week. Express your love by asking them questions all the way through the scriptures, all the way through the gospels. Jesus asks people questions. And then he responds to them. David Augsburger wrote this. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. I think that a very challenging but insightful statement. That for most people, being listened to and being loved is almost indistinguishable. If we could have that posture, I think we would sense more of the opportunity that God brings us and gives us. And then we need to share. Prayer, care, and share. And there are multiple ways in which we can do that, but I want to encourage you to be someone who shares out of the experience of your own testimony in life. There is power in your story. There's power in all kinds of stories. People's stories are powerful, including ours, to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so draw on the things that God has done in your own life, how God has helped you this week, last week, last year, how he's changed you, how he's changing you, how he's helped you to forgive when the person you're talking to is struggling to forgive someone who did something to them in the workplace or in their street. Talk to them about out of your own experience how God has brought peace to you in times of anxiety or how he's brought strength to you in times when you felt weak or tell them about how he's helped you to shout less at referees or your wife or your husband or your kids. Maybe some of us are struggling to find a testimony in there, but let's keep praying. Let's keep asking. Out of our testimony, story is powerful and it connects with people about how Jesus has changed and is changing us and the hope that he has brought. And let our answers be grace-filled and our responses be grace-filled and our experience of God. Let's allow ourselves to share that. Think about how you can do that. Let our testimony be fresh and real and shared in natural ways. I'm going to invite the worship team uh, to come up just now. And as we do, we're going to pray for ourselves. There's all kinds of ways in which we can be messengers of the gospel of Christ. And the more we do it, the more we grow in confidence. And the closer we are to God, the more we'll grow in confidence. But God calls us to speak up and speak out. And to respond to what is happening in our front lines by sharing the reason for the hope that is in us. It is Jesus, the one who changes everything. 
So I want you just to close your eyes if that helps for you to pray. And again, ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind some people from your front lines. And as you begin to picture them and the Holy Spirit brings someone to mind, just pray for them. And as you picture them and as you pray for them, pray for divine appointments and opportunities to speak words of blessing, for divine appointments and opportunities to share the reason for the hope that is in you, Christ Jesus. Pray for yourself to be prepared and ready. To do so with gentleness and respect. To be wise and sensitive and full of grace. To listen to them and to listen to the Spirit and to have courage to speak. And Lord, I pray particularly for those who on their front lines just now are facing opposition or persecution or ridicule or rejection or neglect because of their faith in Jesus. I pray that you would encourage them even just now, Lord, remind them of how much you love them as they begin to perhaps revere you as Lord, come back to you as Lord and Savior, that you would strengthen them in their inner being. We understand that it is not always easy to be the people of God in the variety of places in which we live and work. And so if you're struggling with a place on a front line somewhere to be that person of faith, find encouragement in the Lord even just now. Come Holy Spirit, bring the encouragement of the Father, bring strength in the inner place where perhaps we've been hurt, bring your healing because of words that have been spoken against them or because they've been isolated or kept at a distance because of their faith. Lord, come bring your healing to their hearts and remind them that they are welcomed to your heart and to your family. And Lord, may our life together as the gathered people of God be a place where we can strengthen and encourage one another as we are sent back out into the world so that we can model godly character. Make good the work we do. Minister grace and love 
mold the culture with the touch of the kingdom and the king. Be a mouthpiece for truth and justice and a messenger of the gospel of hope. Would you stand with me? And let's read this prayer that's on the screen. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you that I can call you Father because of what your Son has done for me. Thank you for all those who showed and shared your good news with me. Father, draw all those on my front line to your Son. Stretch out your mighty hand to do great works there and give wisdom and boldness in word and deed to show and share your way to life. For your glory may it be. Amen. Let's worship.